You may not believe it, but uh, what I'm doing sitting down here is pretty much what Jesus did most of the time when he was uh, teaching. Because uh, the rabbi or the teacher generally sat down to teach. So Chris is pretty biblical. Like, don't tell him that. He'd get all big head or something. But, <laughs> but that might be what he's all about. Throw that down there. I'll, I'll, I'll use that later. Please join me in Mother's Prayer. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh upon our ears, our eyes, most of on our hearts. And may we know that you love us and care for us because we're assured again and again that you do. And Lord Jesus, we pray that as your words are spoken today, that even through the humble efforts of your servant, you may reach hearts. You may reach people's lives and that they may be changed. Help us to know that we are the now people. We're called to this moment in history to be the changers that you anticipated would happen a long, long, long time ago. And so we just ask you, Holy Spirit, to come into each of our hearts, but not to stay there, but to flow out as we become the witnesses that will bring a whole new vibrant kind of life to this community we call Muncie, Delaware County, literally the state of Indiana, burst out of the barriers and the boundaries of the United States that we might reach the world for Christ in this generation. You know it is our mandate, and we just thank you for that. And we pray this in your most precious and holy name. Amen. Now what? You know, you're probably saying, I don't know what he's going to do now. But now what? There are two words there. We hear this all the time. And, and there are two ways you can look at this expression, now what? You can see it as a frustrating question. Like someplace during this week you have said, oh, now what? And that happens to all of us. It'll happen again this week. It's just going to be a part of our week because we don't go through a week without something happening. But also, this can be a challenging word. It can be an affirmation that says to us, Now what? Boy, we're ready for a new adventure. We're ready for a new journey, an exciting project, a job, a lifestyle. Something's going to happen that's going to be exciting for us. It's all how we say it. We can say it, Now what? Or, we can be excited and say, now, now what? Today, the emphasis is not so much on the what, because let me remind you, all of the what is right here. If you're looking for a what answer, it's here. You ask it, it's there. That's not the issue. The issue is now, am I going to do anything about it? Is now going to be the time 
when I am going to fulfill what Jesus has called me to. Well, now what questions? They all begin at the same place. They begin at birth. They begin at your birth. You know, isn't the very first response that we ever make when we are into this world, and the doctors out here probably have all heard it, as soon as that life begins, it goes, why? It's just a big cry out there, screaming as loud as possible. Matter of fact, you scream so loud, you turn red. You just glisten in there when that's going on. And aren't we told that the reason that you have all of that is because you're hungry? But let me tell you something I suspect you know because you experienced it. Our first cries, even though we're screaming at the top of our voice for food, doesn't mean you're going to get any. And we're just saying to each other, now what in the world is going on? I, my mother has fed me all of this time, and now all of a sudden we've cut off from her, cut off from all of that. And believe me, that's what happens in a hospital, doesn't it? In a hospital, as soon as you are born, you're crying, you're demanding food. Nope, that is not what you're going to get, I can tell you. You'll have this nice nursing staff that's going to come. They're going to grab you and pick you up. Grab your little bitty pinky foot. Stick it in the ink and stick it on the paper. Footprinted you right there, both of them. Do they do their hands? Not this time. We just do your feet. I don't know. I guess your feet tell you something. I don't know. Well, that... If that wasn't enough, then they pick you up and they bounce you into a scale. You know, the scale is doing all kinds of things. And the nurse says, someplace between eight and nine pounds. Who knows? I weighed 11 and three quarters when I was born. You know how the doctor weighed me? Picked me up and said, he weighs about 11 and three quarters. <laughs> and if that isn't enough, then they go get their little tape measure. They want to measure you. Are your legs long enough, your arms? But then they put it around your head, see how big your head is. And I, I know what I said, easy on the head, kid. Take it easy. I wonder why they can't hear your cry for food. That's what you want. I mean, we all want to eat. That's what it's all about. And we end up with a very frustrating kind of a cry that says, now what? No food. But instead of food, they're going to do some great things for you. They're going to put a diaper on you. Did you ever feel anything more uncomfortable than a diaper? I hope when I get old and in the uh, nursing home, forget the diaper. Leave it alone. Figure out some other way to take care of all those bodily functions that are going on. Then they take you and they clothe you in this nice, warm flannel gown. Then they stick that little cute hat on you and place you in a warming device, heat you up a little bit. And you're getting all excited. He said, it's coming. Food is coming. No way. What's going to happen to you is they're going to pop you into a little bed, along with about another 15 or 16 squalling little friends. And they're just going to go on, and they're all saying, food, food, but no food. I guess the last thing probably that all of us in that birth canal experience come up with is we just say, 
And it doesn't matter where you're born, your gender, your ethnic background, the cultural background you come out of, the race, or any other qualifying boundaries that any of us might come up with. We shout aloud from the beginning of our birth to this very point. Now what? Now what? Um, point two here you might want to write down. It'll say, uh, now what questions are being experienced everywhere? Do you know that they happen every place you go? Check it out this coming week. You're going to find it out. You're going to hear that question now what? Whether you're at work, at home, shopping, at the garage, waiting for an oil change. It just happens every place. Let me give you some examples. Somewhere, there will be a mother this week working at home, and she's going to cry out, now what? Of course, none of you mothers ever did that, did you? Well, the reason that she cries out, now what, is because she just went through a hectic morning. First thing, she burnt the bacon. Well, you know, that turns everybody on once you do that. Then she decides she'll go ahead and do the, do the work in the laundry room. So she goes out the laundry room, everything's going too well, but she pours way too much liquid soap. One of the kids is grabbing at her tail, and she's pouring like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when she closes the lid, guess what happened? Suds abound. Suds are flowing out of that thing. It's onto the floor. It's every place. And she's not even halfway through the morning yet. Then, all of a sudden, it dawns on her. Ah! The kids are supposed to have a dental appointment. She looks at the clock. Too late. Too late. Well, I might as well go do the shopping. Out the door she goes. She buys all this good frozen food, loads it into the back of the SUV, and on the way home, guess what? The gas gauge goes, blink, out of gas. She gets out her cell phone, savior of the world, the cell phone. Gets it out. She gets the travel company. Some voice 2,000 miles away comes on and says, Mary's I'm glad that you called this morning, but there is a little bit of a problem for you. We've had an unsightly amount of calls Needing assistance. You won't get gas for at least an hour and a half. Here you are sitting out in the hot sun with all this frozen food and there is no gas coming to restart the SUV. It'll happen someplace this week. Well, somewhere else there's a mother who's just crying buckets of tears because as she went out the door and slammed it, she slammed the cat's tail in the door and broke it in two places. So now she's got this cat carrying on. She rushes the cat off to the vet. She's in tears. The cat's screaming. The vet's wondering what it's all about. And he looks at the cat's tail, and then he gives her the good word, $1,500 to get it fixed. And she says, Now what? There's a dad someplace this week. He's had nine months of torture at the, his job. And he's now waiting this long, long, long longing for a vacation. So he's loaded the car. He's all set. He's ready. He sticks the key in. 
And guess what? It won't start. He looks off to his right and knows the reason why. You know the visor that comes down? That little thing you lift up when you are going to look beautiful? I won't say who. But there you are. It's been on not one, not two, not three. Who knows how long it's been on. But all you get when you plug the little key in, the ignition is on. The dad in tears comes in, tries to stay calm, and he says, Well, come on, we'll finish loading the SUV, but there's going to be a delay. The car won't start, but let's get the suitcases in, let's get the golf clubs in, and and then once we get the battery charged back up, we'll be ready to leave. The oldest daughter, bless her heart, goes out there. She's going to help dad, so she's going to slam the lid on that little SUV with the glass top. There's just one little problem. The golf clubs aren't in. So when she smacks it down, crash, the glass goes every place. And you hear dad say, now what? You think that doesn't happen, don't you? How many of you have had something like that to happen? Oh, gracious. I could share a million stories like that, but I'll let you. All of you fill in the blanks of the experience of now what? Number three there says, now what? Personal faith questions. You know, we all face, we all face those personal faith questions of now what? Let me give you some homely examples out of my life. I was about 10 or 11 years old when I went with my mother and my brother to a revival meeting. You remember the good old revival meeting? Hey, great singing and preaching that just drove you insane because they were talking to you. That's who I met, Dr. James DeWeird over at the First Friends Church over in Fairmount. James DeWeird was up fantastic preacher i've got believe it or not this is going to make me look ancient i've got a wire recording of his voice you know wire recordings were pretty good most of you say what in the world is a wire recording (laughs) that tells you how old i am anyhow dr weird could he speak nobody sat on the first two rows of the church because he also spit so if you were out there, you could have got a bath just in a little bit, of, just a little bit of time. He could spit out more words. He was like a machine gun, just and he was throwing all those words on me. I knew it. I thought, why is he preaching at me? I kept looking around. There must be some other soul in here that needs help. Don't look at me. But he kept looking at me. At the end of his service, he did offer an invitation for anyone that wanted to accept Jesus to come forward. And I went forward. I was kneeling there at that altar. And for whatever reason, he came and stood beside me and my mother and said, You know, this young man, I think if he would just remain faithful to the Lord, he might do something for Jesus. And you know what I said? Now what am I in for? 
I just wanted to get right with the Lord. I didn't want to do anything. And I sure didn't want to be an old preacher. You know, I, I must confess, I've asked that question, I don't know how many times. I bet you've asked it too. Lord, now what? Now what? More often than not, I've shouted back to God, God, I know better, and I don't think it's going to work that way. Forget it. You look someplace else. You got some other good people someplace. Go talk to them. Don't, don't talk to me. None of you ever did that, did you? You know, you can always tell when God is talking to people. They're going, I wonder who he's talking to. <laughs> As if he's not talking to you. And God is always talking to you. And I've asked the question, I don't know how many times, now what? Now what, God? In 1963, I was in Korea with the United States Army and saw what happens to a nation that goes through a war. It's, it's just devastating. And outside of the village, or the compound where I was, a little village, Tandishan, it's about five miles from the DMZ, and there were 35,000 people who lived out there, 25,000 of them prostitutes. Can you believe that? You know, it's interesting. Uh, our battalion took care of a nursery there or an orphanage or a place where all of the GI kids ended up. It's interesting what kind of kids we produce when we're um, white or African-American or Hispanic or whatever. And every, every month we used to collect money to, to run the orphanage. That was my job, one of my jobs. Captain said, it's about that time of the month. No passes unless you give to the orphanage. You didn't have to give, but you didn't get a pass either. So, you know, it's up to you. You can make your decision. And I think a lot of them said, no, what in the world? I don't want to. And I, I don't know how many times they come and say, I'll just slip it to you later. I can't do it right now. Man, I'm running a little short. I said, you're going to be running a little short on pass if you don't lay the money down. While I was there in Korea, it was, uh, it was one cold night. I was out at about 21 degrees below zero. It was just bitter cold. I can't say I heard an audible voice of God, but God was there. And it was as if he said, look what you see. It's as if, now what's your response? And that was my call to the ministry. I remember coming home and starting to go to school and all that. And believe it or not, a couple years later, I had an official of the church call and said, we have a church for you. And I said, now I've got, I didn't say anything about going to the church. I just said I'd try to be a preacher. Now you're saying you want me in a church. And so in 1965, we ended up in a nice little church up in northern Indiana called West Manchester. What a beautiful rural setting that is. Man, it is a beautiful place. You know, one day I'm a tool and die maker, and the next day everybody's saying to this 25-year-old, Hi, Pastor, we're so glad you're here. And I thought, Dear Jesus, you better start praying now, because I have no idea what it means to be a pastor. 
you've got to be kidding me. I remember the first death call I got. Hadn't been a death in that church in 15 years. Boom, in comes this young snot nose, and guess what? People died. As Todd Bender, who was the funeral director here in North Manchester, said to me one day when I was in to conduct the funeral, he tapped me on the shoulder and he said, I don't know what in the hell you're preaching out there, but you keep on, you're going to be preaching to yourself. <laughs> I went I went to this home when I got that call on that Saturday morning. And it said, Mother's died, would you come over, Pastor? We'd like for you to come. And I said, sure, I'll be there. I had no idea what I was going to do. I looked around in my study there and I thought, Maybe there's a book here that tells you what to do in this case. No book. So I jumped in the car. It was only about four miles away. Went down the road. About halfway there, I thought, I think I'm having an appendix attack. I got to go home and call and tell them I got to go to the hospital. I thought all those things, but I went anyhow. Went up and knocked on the door, and they came and said, Pastor, we're so glad you're here. Come in. Come right on in. And said, Mother just laid down there on the Davenport. She's died. She was in her way up in her 80s. And they said, Would you like to see her? And I thought, Well, that's a good idea. <laughs> so we went in there and we're standing around there and I'm thinking, Now I wonder what I ought to do. And they said, Hey, you know, Pastor, why don't you why don't you offer a prayer? And I thought, Well, that's really a good idea. I I think I can pray, so we offered a prayer. At the end of that, they said, uh, you know, Mom baked these chocolate chip cookies out here. Why don't we go out to the kitchen table and we'll have some coffee and cookies and we can just sit around talking. I said, well, that's a good idea. So we went out there. What happened was this wonderful group of people took this guy who doesn't know what he's doing and led him through how to do a call. Showed me what to do told me what to preach, told me what to say. And I walked out of there and said, well, no, that wasn't too bad. <laughs> and we fell in love with that area. It's a rural area. It's just, it's just paradise. My kids had this big, beautiful swing and an oak tree, and they had a horse out there that I didn't know anything about. Did I tell you about how I rode a horse that had never been ridden? I didn't. I got him all settled. They, it was to be for these two young girls who wanted to ride horses. And I let him out, got him right out underneath about an eight-by-eight eight beam of that thing and kicked him in the sides, which probably wasn't a smart thing to do, but he jumped out. Then he jumped straight up and threw me right over the fence. <laughs> I didn't ride him. We just loved it there. But then in 1968, God said, Now you're going to Chicago. I said, no way. I like it here. You're going to Chicago. And that was the beginning of my seminary experience. And so we packed up that old beat-up car of ours with $500, two kids, no job, and went off to Chicago. That's the way with God. God will say to you now, are you ready for the now? You might be more interested in the what 
Now, I'll talk about the what, but you can only talk about the what so long. Eventually, you have to do the now. And the now is you've got to respond to God. Are you responding to God this week? Came out of seminary and for two wonderful pastors, one in Marion, one in Anderson. And God answered the question. Now it is. Here it is. Get in there and do it. 2000, it sounded like retirement was a good thing. You know, it was a blessing, really, because the stock market hadn't went crazy yet. Retirement looked pretty good. Retired. 2008, everything went south. But I still had a pretty good pension. Wasn't too bad. You know, the, the now questions never cease. I thought we were settled. I thought Marion was where we're going to just waste away. Then there was this call to come to Muncie. It was in the form of Chris. Dad, you need to come over here. You'll like it. You'll like the jar. Come on over. And then he had those two little ringers. My grandchildren. I mean, you know what better thing is there? Just get up and go. I didn't even like Muncie. Well, I said it didn't. I do like you. You know, the people here in Muncie are nice. They're polite. When they cut me off at the pass out there, they just wave, smiling. <laughs> I just think that's neat, don't you? I've never been in a place like that. This why. <coughs> the now what questions, they just never cease. I'm still asking them. I bet you're asking them too. Because when you walk into the now, guess what's going to happen? Disillusionment goes away. And God gives you a concrete way for you to do something now. God isn't talking about the way off hereafter. He's talking about today. He's talking about what you're going to do now. You are my witnesses. God doesn't have anybody but you. That's what I said. You surely got somebody besides me. No, you. What are you going to do? It had to be me. And what now am I going to do? A now what is but a doorway to a new beginning. I remember when I was going to make a pastoral change and, and I couldn't figure out what I was going to do and all of that. I talked to a close friend of mine, and he said, there's all kinds of doors out there. Just go through them. Now, get up and go through them. Because, you see, God's on the other side of all of those doors. If that isn't the right door, there's a lot more to try. Just get up and go. God is telling us now, now. Well, point four is the biblical now what questions explored. Let's turn to Jesus' life. Three years of his ministry with a chosen inner core of followers who watched Jesus die on a cross. They weren't very confident after that. Matter of fact, they were a disheveled group of men, women who had been following Jesus, but he's dead now. Now what are we going to do? And there's four accounts here of what Jesus is all about. But 
We're looking at the account of the Acts of the Apostles. It's written by Dr. Luke. He also wrote one of the other accounts of the gospel. But the Acts of the Apostle has a very interesting little story. You have it printed. Why don't we look at it together there in Acts 1, 1 to 11. And I'll read it to you, but you looked at it yourself. In my first book, I wrote about all the things that Jesus did and taught from the time he began his work until the day he was taken up to heaven. Before he was taken up, he gave instructions by the power of the Holy Spirit to the men he had chosen as his apostles. For 40 days after his death, he appeared to them many times in ways that proved beyond doubt that he was alive. They saw him, and he talked with them about the kingdom of God. And when they came together, he gave them this order. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift I told you about. The gift my father promised. John baptized you with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And when the apostles met together with Jesus, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time give the kingdom back to Israel? Notice what Jesus says to them. The times and the occasions are set by my Father's own authority. And it is not for you to know when they will be. But when the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be filled with power. You will be witness for me in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Notice he doesn't say you might be. He says you will be a witness. Sometimes we do not believe we are witnesses. You have been empowered by the Spirit of God. You are the witnesses God has called. God isn't calling anybody but you. He's calling you and you and you and me. And he says now, now is the time. You begin right where you're at and you will get expanded beyond these boundaries if you will remain true to me. After saying this, he was taken up to heaven as they watched him, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They still had their eyes fixed on the sky as he went away, and when two men dressed in white suddenly stood beside them and said, Galileans, why are you standing there looking up at the sky? This Jesus who was taken away from you into heaven will come back the same way that you saw him go to heaven. Do you see the question there? They're standing, they're looking up at Jesus, and they're saying, now what? Now what? And God has to send some people down there to straighten them out and say, get your act together. Now is what you're going to be doing. This is what you're going to do. I invite us to envision that we're right there at that moment. It's on Mount Olives. Now, Mount Olives isn't far from Jerusalem. It's less than a Sabbath journey over there. You can look across the Kidron Valley. You can see Mount Olives over there. And that's where Jesus went up. And guess what? That's where Jesus has come back. Wouldn't you like to be in Jerusalem on that day when he comes back and all the trumpets sound and that graveyard that's all in between there is going to open up 
And all of us are going to be gathered up together and we're going to go up to heaven. Aren't you anticipating that day? I am, aren't you? I think it's going to be the most exciting time of our whole life. I don't need a mansion in the sky, just a little apartment in the by and by. How about you? I don't have to be lifted up. Just get me up. That's what it's all about. And Jesus, when he was after that resurrection experience, 40 days he was on this earth. Believe that or not. He ate with people. He talked with them. He listened. But he had the ability to be there and not be there. He was there and he wasn't. He was everywhere, it says. And Jesus was out talking to people and he was talking doesn't say he was doing all these miraculous things anymore. I do think he, when he was with his disciples, he broke that bread. And he said, here, guys, just like before, we're going to eat, we're going to drink. And that's what the kingdom of God is all about. It's us being together. It's us fellowshipping. It's us now doing what I'm calling you to do. You are witnesses. You will be a witness. And all of a sudden, we say, well, I don't think I can do it. If I just had a crash course. If Jesus saved your life, brother, you've got a story to tell. And somebody out there needs to hear that story. Will you tell it now? All of a sudden, Jesus is gone from their presence. He's there and he's gone. And there to stay in Jerusalem. And there... To anticipate the kingdom. And guess what that kingdom is? It says, to the ends of the earth. Man, that's going to be a big place. But what now? Especially as we wait, I wonder. How long are you going to wait before you become a now person? I think Jesus looks for now people. I don't think he looks for what people. He's got all kinds of what people. What, what about this, Jesus? Jesus says, now go out and do it. Just do it. How many have been reading James in the New Testament? Go read that book. It tells you to do it. Don't think about it. Just do it. When I was a pastor, it said to me, do it. You're not going to learn any better. Get out there and just do it. You aren't going to learn how to do it any better. Just do it. Do it. And if that isn't the burning question of your life, it ought to be. Why aren't you doing it? If we aren't asking Jesus now what we're saying, I got a better idea. The great story of the Bible is people and their better ideas and getting screwed up and Jesus bailing them out. How many times has Jesus bailed me out? I could fill a book with it. How many times has he bailed you out? But he didn't say at the end of that, you're done. Didn't he also say, now go do it. Now go do it. Well, let me put on my apron here. You see, I'm going to introduce you to somebody. His name is J.B. J.B. is a fruit merchant. Don't let that microphone scare you. He's a fruit merchant in Jerusalem. 
My name's JB. I live there. I live on Glory Street. It's a great place to be. And I had something's going to knock your socks off when I tell you about it. It's all about a week that was. A week when Jesus come riding in on a donkey into Jerusalem. Boy, we all stood up and cheered and said, Hallelujah, he's come. The world is going to change. The Romans are going to go down. We're going to go up. And then they had some kind of a crazy trial. And I thought to myself, well, this isn't going to end up too bad. This isn't going to end up too bad. And so I stood up and said, well, crucify him then. Well, they did. And they hung out there on Calvary's cross and he died. I wasn't close enough at the time. I was only 16. I did a young guy. But so off in the distance there, I was heard it later on that they said just before he died, he said, into thy hands. I commit my spirit. And then he died. Now you say, well, that doesn't sound too exciting. Hey, I'm coming to the exciting part. That Sunday after they buried him, early in the morning, a bunch of women, I don't know, they got together some good stuff that makes you smell good when you die. Went out there to take care of Jesus. When they got there, the stone wasn't across the entrance anymore. And then all of a sudden, there were two figures that said, Hey, what are you doing looking for a dead guy? He isn't dead. He's alive. He's alive! And they just jumped up and down by all of that experience. They ran back. They wanted to tell the apostles and all of that and they ran back and told them and they all just went well big deal he's alive they didn't believe it oh i guess peter did he ran down the road there and he played peekaboo and looked in there and went back home he wasn't too impressed saying, I now want you to do something for me. I have forgiven you everything. I love you. You can't do anything that's going to make me love you more, make you love me less. I just love you. But I'd like for you to do this. Be my witness. Be my witness out there. Well, we're still talking about Jesus back here in Jerusalem. My friend Micah, he, let me tell you what Micah told me the other day. He had an interesting experience. He said, I happened to see Jesus. Remember that day he went to the temple? He walked up there and Jesus was on his way there to pray. And he went inside and as he stepped in, here's a bunch of guys over here making chains. There's a bunch of guys over there. They're selling little sacrifices and everything. And Jesus had tears almost in his eyes and he said, They've turned my father's house into something that it's not. And then he made some kind of a whip. And boy, you talk about things happening then. Birds started flying out of the temple. Coins started rolling out the door. People were jumping out the windows. It it was havoc. And then Jesus stood up and looked around and he said, My father's house. 
said, don't make it a marketplace. Don't make it a marketplace. Well, I'll tell you, baby, on the outside, we were all cheering because we saw the fat cats get thrown out of the temple. We knew that we were going to get into the good business. Boy, we, we could start counting our bucks right away because we knew we were going to be able to sell stuff and do things. But then Jesus died and everything went back just about the way it was. Well, we're still talking about him, though. One of our buds, Joel, over there, he wrote a song. He said, loving God, loving each other, making music with our friends, loving God, loving each other, and the story, it just never ends. Do you know why it never ends? Because you're a now person. You make the story go on. Jesus is asking every one of us to make the story go on now and to make it happen. And he's alive. He's alive out there today. Number six says, Jesus receiving final instruction. What's his final instructions? We're to be his witnesses. They saw him. They touched him. They lived with him. They ate with him. They celebrated. But he said, you're going to be my witnesses. It says it right here. I just read it to you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be filled with power. You will be witnesses. You are Jesus' witness, whether you do it or not. You do it in your actions. You do it in your speech. You do it in a million ways. Because if you say, now what, Jesus? He's going to tell you, now do it. And Jesus continued to do this all during his life because Jesus says he was down in the water being baptized by John. God the Father looked down on him there in the water. And he said, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And that same Holy Spirit is the spirit that came to you when you said, yes, I believe. Yes, I want to follow Jesus. Yes, I want to be his child. And Jesus says, I'm proud of you. I love you. You are my son. You are my daughter. Now go do it. Now just go do it. And for 40 days, Jesus was going about doing all of these kinds of things. And he proved over and over and over he was alive. And Jesus is still proving he's alive. Because you're alive. Jesus uses you because you are alive. You might have been dead before that day when you said yes and you entered into a baptismal fountain and you come out and you said, well, now what? And Jesus said, I've got something for you to do. And Jesus does have things for us to do. And his kingdom is us. It's not a kingdom that is being established on this earth, except it's us. We are the kingdom of God. And he's calling us all to dedicate our lives humbly, fully, completely to God the Father. And when we do, then we are to love everybody else. That's our witness you don't know the multitude of ways that you can love people until you go out there and do it. Do you? When was the last time that you woke up in the morning and said, I'm going to love everybody today, and I'm going to prove that it happens, and then go out and do it? Not questions, number seven. Not questions. But 
doing now. I'm doing it now. We continually ask the now what question, but Jesus wants us to be witnesses. He wants us to witness to what Jesus taught and did. Now, now, what are you going to do? You don't have to read much here. Just read a little bit. Because you know what it's going to say? Now you've got to go do it. You see, I think the church's greatest failure is that we don't have now people. We have maybe people. Maybe I'll get that done down the road. And Jesus is saying, now, jar people, it's time for us. Just look at the things that's coming up. The 4th of July outreach. Food, fellowship, and fireworks. If you come, bring an apple pie. I love apple pie. I've been telling this ever since, and you know, it's, it works. If you tell people you love something, guess what? They'll give it to you. They will. So bring your apple pie on the 4th of July and come over there. You can now do it. Some of you ought to bring a little fried chicken. I don't care how you fry it, just get it there. We'll take care of it. And everybody else there will take care of it. And you're going to be a witness. You go out there and just have fun. You see, sometimes we don't think we're having fun as Christians. But now you can go out there and put a globe bracelet around some little kid or some person and say, Jesus loves you and I do too. And throw your arms around them and that will scare them to death. <laughs> they might even accept Jesus right on the spot. Because they may think he's coming back. And those people are going to get invited to go to the Tui Pool Outreach. Right now, you've got neighbors. I know you've got neighbors. They've had kids now how many weeks since school? About, about four. They're about half crazy. <laughs> There's mothers at home singing now. Where is the yellow bus? Come on by. They're wanting the yellow bus to come by and to take these wild Indians off. You go give those parents a break. Take those children to the Tui pool let them get in the water you watch them though i mean if they go down for the second time pull them up don't let them drown let them have a good time but you can do it surf fest why aren't you doing surf fest my gracious you can reach out and love with people there isn't anything more exciting than handing out donuts and coffee going to the bus station down there meeting people going out on out there you're out there near my favorite restaurant, Bob Evans. Just give something. Cheat Bob out of a cup of coffee. Are you going to have a cookout for Jesus? You say, well, I don't know if they'd even come. They're going to come if you don't invite them now. Get them to come over there. Make some barbecued ribs, a hamburger, an old hot dog, a cheeseburger. I don't care. Corn dog. Make it. Make them happy. Get them some roast in there. Wrap it all up and roast them up there on there. They'll love you to death. Are you going to help with the camp this year? Jesus says, now I need some people to help. It's more fun to go put your arms around a little four and five-year-old little snotty noses and you're wiping their nose and making them happy and eventually they'll put their arm around you and say they love you. And you can put your arm around and say, and I love you. And Jesus loves you.
Can you imagine if we had 30 kids, 40 kids, 50 kids that made a commitment to Jesus Christ? How many people in that group are going to go out and do things for Jesus? I don't know. Do you? It won't happen if you don't do it now. You got a free card there in your program. Boy, that's a neat little idea, isn't it? You can just drive people crazy. They'll say, well, who paid for my burger? I don't know. Somebody went through the car doors, drive in there and said, hey, he paid for it. Just do it. Just do it. And advertise for Jesus. What have I been trying to say to us? Let me simply put it quick. Now, do it. Now, do it. Now, do it. Now, do it. Write a song, bear, dare, rape. Now, do it. Now, do it. Now, do it. If we sang that every week, I bet you a lot of people say, maybe I ought to now do it. Now, do it. Now, do it. I'm kidding this, but I think Jesus, Jesus wants you now. He needs you. And remember, if you aren't believing today that you're loved at this place, I'm telling you, you are. And Jesus loves you. There will be people here that will pray with you. Anything to pray about. Have a good week out there. Go be an out person. Go now. Go now. In the name of Jesus. And witness for him. That was awesome. I'm inspired now. Just listening to him talk, I'm inspired. Um, yeah, there's going to be people to pray with you up here, guys. If you guys want prayer for anything, feel free to come up there. We'd love to pray with you. We'll see you guys next week. Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. We'll see you soon.